special edition of our show, Herstory on the Rocks with Katie and Allie. Normally, it would just be Allie and I hanging out, just the two of us with a couple of cocktails talking about famous women in history. But sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about history. We have a very special guest here with us today, Martha Evans. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Martha is a retired women's study and French professor and former director of book publications at the Modern Language Association. Today, she's here to talk about her newest book that she was involved in, Lieutenant Sonia Vagliano, A Memoir of the World War II Refugee Crisis. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? About myself, I'm a retired professor, as he said. Actually, I was participated in one of the earliest women's studies programs in the United States. Yes. Oh, that's great. I was a women's studies major. (laughs) Excellent. So it was at a conservative small women's college in Virginia, but we had this very electric can-do professor move in from Wisconsin who had, you know, from Madison, Wisconsin, and she got it going. So there were three of us who were uh, helped start the program. And we ended up having a requirement to take a women's studies uh, subject for graduation. So that was very, yeah, it was very unusual. We were very proud. We weren't popular with everybody on campus. (laughs) But because we also got into stuff about sexual harassment and et cetera, et cetera. So we were also kind of uh, motivators on campus. So it was very exciting. It was just perfect. Well, that's amazing. (laughs) Well, we can't wait to get into this book about Lieutenant Sonia. Um, So, of course, we have made a cocktail for it. Um, So we're thinking about this. I was like, okay, like, what is something that someone working in, you know, a refugee camp in World War II would probably not have time to do, uh, but would be nice, and that would be brunch. Um, so we have made a twist on a mimosa. So it is orange juice and champagne with amaretto uh, and garnished with a maraschino cherry. <laughs> so cheers. Oh, thank you. I wish I had one. Mm-hmm. It's very good. It's so good. So let's dive into this book. Can you set the scene for us? Because we're kind of in a place right now where we hear about refugee on the news all the time. And the the part after World War II, like when the war ended, we don't think about that very much. So can you set the scene? Like, where is this taking place? When is it taking place? And what was it like for a typical French woman in World War II? Well, uh, that's, those are a lot of questions. She, <laughs> yeah. she, there was, it's interesting, the army, the allies set up a program for uh, liaison with the civilian authorities. This was in planning for the Normandy invasion and assuming they were going to win. So uh, she got in as she was like 20, 21 years old. She was this young thing. She got into the training program uh, to be part of this. And so she landed in Normandy about 10 days after the Normandy invasion. And she was part of a team which was attached to a U.S. Army unit to set up refugee camps. And basically, it wasn't generosity that was making them set up these camps. They wanted to get the civilians off the roads that 
so they could move the military around because there were a lot of civilians obviously displaced uh, by the battles that were going on. So that's what she did. And it's interesting because the women on her team, her French team, uh, got to do stuff like setting up the camp and feeding the refugees and kind of what you might think of as women's work, actually. Uh, but then she, it got pretty dangerous. They, she was supposed to have a driver. They didn't have a driver, so she was a driver. The roads were mined. They were. It was. It was a very dangerous situation. Anyway, so she followed this American unit to Paris and then to Belgium. And then when they at, when they started out, there were about twelve hundred or fifteen hundred people in a camp, and they tried to get them move them out of the camp, either return them to their homes or send them back where they could stay more permanently. So they were what they called a transit camp right behind the lines. She mm. mentions often how they can hear the artillery. And they were, in fact, subject to some friendly fire incidents that were pretty scary. Anyway, by the time they got into Belgium, they were having a lot more people. And then at one point, they had 20,000 people in their camp and that they are trying to feed and take care of. Mm -hmm. And she was in the Battle of the Bulge when it was below zero. They were caught between the lines. They had like 10,000 people in this camp and the American, her American commanders were ordered away and they left her. She was 21 or 22 years old at this point. They left her in charge of the camp which is absolutely amazing. So it shows this young woman, I just found out she was just 5'2 and teeny, you know. So here's this little teeny young woman doing all this amazing stuff. She obviously had this huge presence and she was determined she wouldn't take no for an answer. And if she had to, she would break the rules uh, <laughs> to get to do what she thought needed to be done. Like, for instance, during this battle, the bulge, but they didn't have any food. So it was freezing and she would go out with a team in a truck and they would pick up the cows that had frozen in the fields haul them onto their truck, take them back, defrost them, <laughs> and make, you know, make food for these 10,000 people that they had in their camp at their time. That was just showing how, you know, inventive she could be, creative she could be in solving problems. So, And then, of course, the big story was at the end, she ended up at the Buchenwald mm -hmm. concentration camp. And she was the first woman officer to enter the camp. And her job was to arrange for the repatriation of the 20,000 prisoners who were still there when they got there. Anyway, it was an amazing, an amazing story. And I just felt privileged and happy to be able to bring this story to Americans. You know, it was published in France, in French, about actually 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. and won a big prize for the best memoir of the year and stuff. But this is the first time that it's been, you know, translated into English. Right. And that's what's interesting about this book is you translated um, the memoir of this incredible woman. So is this a book a big deal in France and we just have no idea? Like, how did you find it? 
Well, it was a big deal in France at the time, but that was in 1982. Right. <laughs> so that was a long time ago. I found out about it because a very, very good friend of mine was actually the sister-in-law of the author. My friend oh, wow. was American, but her husband was French, Greek, you know, family. And mm. so she was talking about his family told me about one of his cousins who had actually been executed by the Nazis during the war because of her uh, work for the resistance. And then she said, oh, but his sister wrote this book about her and she handed me the book. I read it and I said, this is fabulous. You know, this should, has anybody ever translated it? Because I had translated other things. So that was the first thing, one of the first things I thought about. And she said, no. So that's how it got started. That's how I, I got connected with the book. Otherwise, you know, I, I wouldn't have known anything about it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds amazing, but I, I'm sure she didn't come out of this with especially out of being in a concentration camp unscathed, like what types of mark did that leave on her uh, after spending all this time? Like, you know, the she, your book mentions a lot of the big moments of World War II, <laughs> the Battle of the Bulge, D-Day, Normandy, like there's so yeah. much. Well, this is interesting because now since the book has been published in English, I just got a long email from her cousin, and we got into a conversation because, of course, I never met her. She had died before I ever got onto this project. And we got into a conversation about her. And I said, you know, it's strange because it seems like she just went back to a total upper middle class life when she got out of the war. She got married almost immediately when she got home from the war. She had two children, they were wealthy, they had a big apartment in Paris, they had a vacation home in Normandy, and that was it. She had no political activities, and this cousin said, who of course had known her quite well, said, yeah, it was, she was very withdrawn, she was very quiet, and I often had the idea she was somewhere else, mm. and I thought that was interesting because I think there was some compartment in her that was still thinking about her war experiences. Mm -hmm. And I'm not exactly sure what prompted her to write them down after 30 years. And her daughter thinks that it was, she wanted to explain to her children what she had been through because she had never ever talked about these experiences ever before. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people who went through the war and especially people who were in the concentration camps who had, you know, experience in the concert, they wanted to forget it. They wanted to close that door. And I think that's what she did for 30 years what prompted her to stop that? I I haven't to open that door. I, I don't really, I, you know, I can't ask her. Yeah. So I don't really know, but it's extremely interesting, isn't it? That yeah. suddenly she wanted to let everybody know what she had seen him and, and what had happened. Yeah. Now, since these are kind of um, emotionally charged historic events, and this is a memoir, did you feel like anything was lost in translation when you were bringing oh. it from French to English? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Actually, this was a very wonderful 
experience of trans, I've translated some very abstruse psychoanalytic lit crit <laughs> stuff <laughs> that was really difficult and hard. But it's interesting. She wrote a very straightforward, well-educated, sort of classic French. It was very lively, wasn't pompous, didn't take itself seriously. And so it didn't present a whole lot of problems for the, what the, was a problem was to catch her voice. That was, that was the main challenge for me. And it was wonderful to work on. And I was very pleased when I sent it to her daughter. She wrote back and said, you have captured her voice exactly. So I was like, yay. <laughs> I feel like I had done my job to communicate her to the public because she's such an engaging person. It's just amazing how tenacious and vivacious and without taking herself seriously that's one thing that I think is so important and she had a good sense of humor and anyway it was a total pleasure to work on it. Mm. So are there things that about Sonia and about her life that you think when people sit down to read this book today that they could relate to? They could relate to, oh my goodness, I don't know about that. What's interesting to me is that her family was politically active, even though they were super rich. Her daughter, her sister married a Viscount. You know, they were, they knew the Rothschilds. They were in the upper levels, but still they were very active. Her mother, who was American, which is interesting, uh, was volunteered as an ambulance driver in the First World War. And she actually encouraged her daughter to get involved in political, you know, activity. And actually, after the Germans occupied Paris, Sonia participated in a student demonstration, which was totally forbidden, you know, to get together in the streets and to rebel against the Germans. And she put on a gold star, a yellow star and all that. And she got arrested and she had to report every week to the German police. And that's one thing that scared her father and thought that here is his wife who is an American, his daughter who has been arrested by the Gestapo and that's what prompted them. They left France and went to the United States in 41. Mm -hmm. And she actually attended Smith College for two years. She graduated from Smith. Isn't that wild? That yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. So, and she learned how to fly a plane and fix uh, automobiles. She, you know, anyway, she, the whole family was very politically active and engaged her father was in the resistance in, in Paris it, it was just it, it's an amazing so I think that's something that young people especially today and to learn not to give up when things are against you when things seem impossible you can find a way and that's what she did she always found a way yeah. so it's that and also now so unfortunately it's becoming relevant again because of the whole refugee thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a major, unfortunately, a major interest of the book because you can see from the inside what it is like 
to take care of or to try to take care of refugees, you know, and just how hard it is, how difficult it is, how complicated it is. People, you don't think about things like the refugees themselves having fights among themselves and, you know, they had suicides, they had, you know, physical fights between people. She had, at one point, a group of prostitutes who were in her camp, in the camp, and they tried to set up a business in their, in their, in their barracks, and she got in trouble because she kind of let that happen, you know, she didn't work. know what <laughs> That's what happened. Anyway, so I think for a lot of those reasons, it's very, uh, you know, it's very relevant today for people reading it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, since this is a translation and you're trying to find Sonia's voice, did you have any other materials to kind of pull from? Did you look at interviews with her or recordings or letters that she wrote to kind of get more in her head or were you just going off had, the memoir I had no recordings of her mm-hmm. I had no of course she was gone by the time I got this she oh, had God. died so I did and her letters her daughter said that her letters were somehow got lost in mm-hmm. the move you know from the old apartment So all I had were a couple of interviews that she had done or a speech she gave at Smith College, actually. And a couple of authors who came along later had interviewed her as a source for their books about women in the military and so forth. So I had those, but that was really basically her own writing that for me was the source of the kind, you know, who she was and the kind of person she was. Do you ever, as like a translator, be like, okay, so I know they're trying to say this, but (laughs) (laughs) I would like it to say this and just kind of throw some extra words in. (laughs) That's so funny that you asked that because of course that's a big temptation (laughs) that's very funny that you thought about that no I really tried not to do that Mm. I really tried not to do that and I wasn't tempted very much to correct her or add something because she was doing so well (laughs) no I didn't I didn't need to I did do some historical research to try to understand because she was talking from an individual point of view. Mm. And so sometimes I was, Oh, there was this friendly fire incident. When was that? What, what, why did that happen? What was going on? So I did do um, some research about that. And I found out just recently, this is amazing. She was pretty much responsible for saving a city in France in Normandy at Sanu had been totally bombed out and she was assigned to go get the, there was a few people left in the, in the city and she was assigned to go get them and bring them back to the refugee camp. So she gets there and the leader of them said, we're not leaving. You know, if we leave, the city is going to die and we're going to stay here and fix it up. And Sonia says, look, I have my orders, you know, you're supposed to go, but, okay, I'll see what I can do. And so here's one of the times when she broke the rules. She didn't respect the chain of command. She went to the top guy and said, look, 
you have to help these people. He said, look, I don't want to hear about it. Talk to your commanding officer. Don't talk to me. And she talked to him some more. And he said, okay, I'll go with you. So he actually went and talked to these people. And he came back. He said, you did the right thing to come to me. They're going to stay there. And the allies had been talking about just leaving the ruined city as a ruined city, as a kind of monument to the war. But instead, because of her intervention, it got saved and rebuilt. Mm -hmm. So that's just an example of how tenacious and spirited and persuasive she was, you know, and what she did. Mm. Well, that's incredible. I am sure she would have been a women's studies major if <laughs> Smith offered it back then. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this book and for bringing this story to America because I have never heard of this person mm -hmm. and <laughs> she sounds amazing. It is. It's so such a, I can't to have it now that we can read it. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't thank you enough. This has been just a great pleasure talking to you all and being able to talk about the book because it, it's definitely worth reading. It's for, for sure. It's a great story. Oh, so awesome. Well, can you tell people where they can find it and where they can find you and other things that you've done? Amazon is where you can get the book. Uh, get in touch with me. Oh, listen, getting in touch with me. That reminds me of something. She doesn't always identify the people. Her commanding officer that she just calls Major Lewis, she doesn't give his first name. She talks to, says he's a an, an, an ex-Protestant minister, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they had an enormously complicated relationship, kind of love-hate relationship, because she kept getting into trouble. <laughs> but he, they, he respected her, obviously, and she respected him. Anyway, I have spent days and days trying to find out who this Major Lewis is. So if anybody knows who Major Lewis was, who was in the First Army G5 during the Second World War, please write to the University Press of Kentucky, <laughs> and they will get in touch with me to let me know. Okay, thank you. That's the word great. is out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My grandfather's first name was Lewis, but I don't know <laughs> if that's what we're looking for. <laughs> oh, well, thank you again. This was great. And thank I can't you. wait for people to read the book and learn more about Lieutenant Sonia. <laughs> yeah, and it was just such a pleasure to talk to you and just have your wisdom here with us to teach us a little bit more. Same here. It was great pleasure talking to you too. Okay, listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye <laughs>